kids. There we go. Kids, come on up front. All right. There we go. Excitement, enthusiasm this morning. Good to see. Yeah, good. All right. Come on up, guys. Good to see you. Keep coming, keep coming. All right. Good to see all of you here this morning. Thanks for coming. All right. Today, we're going to be back in the book of Acts in the Bible. If you remember, we've heard about the gospel being spread all around the world. All right. And we're going to see in our pastors today, uh, we'll read that the gospel has come to the city called Antioch. Okay, Antioch was a city and the gospel came. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Who knows? Jesus, yeah, what else? Okay, the group of the first four books are called the gospels. What else? The Bible, yeah. So the gospel is the good news of Jesus coming to earth and dying for sin and then being raised to eternal life again, right? So that's the gospel. How was the gospel made known? How do people know about the gospel? Reading the Bible. Bible. Yeah, we hear it there in the Bible. We can read it, right? How else is it made known? How was it made known before the Bible was written? Respectful? Yeah, you have to be respectful to hear it. Okay, what else? You obey it, yep. But it has to be Missionaries, yeah, somebody has to preach it, right? The gospel has to be, is, is made known through preaching, through proclaiming the gospel, the message of Christ, right? Now, yeah, Paul was one of them, right? Now, many people in Antioch believed the gospel, and the gospel says that they were called Christians. What is a Christian? What is it? Someone who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus, right? Yeah. Someone who follows Jesus, someone who is like Christ, like Jesus Christ, right? You're like a, a, a picture of Christ, someone who follows and is like Christ. So in Antioch, the gospel was preached, and we read too also that the people were encouraged to remain faithful to the Lord. So that's a further description of what a Christian is. It's someone who is fully committed to Jesus, to following him, being faithful to him. So a Christian is a person who listens well to the preaching of God's Word and then lives their lives in a right response to what they've heard preached as they hear the gospel preached. Now think uh, about here, who has God given to Pine Grove to preach God's Word to you? Who has God given? Everyone. Everyone, in a way. Who else? Everyone in the entire world? Well, not quite. Who's he, who preaches God's Word here at Pine Grove? Yeah, the pastors. So we have Pastor Jeremy, right? Most Sundays he's preaching, right? Myself, I get to preach to you guys up here and once in a while. And sometimes Pastor Mark is preaching. Yeah, so God has given you people to preach His Word to you. And so if you want to live as a Christian, as someone who honors God with your life, do you know what you should do? You should listen really well to the preaching of God's Word, and then you should take it to heart. You should take it into your life and see how it applies to you personally. 
So you should believe what God's word says is true, and you should live in obedience uh, to God's word. And you hear much of that through the preaching of his word. And so we get to the opportunity to do that every week, right? And so even now as Pastor Jeremy comes, I want you to listen really well to him preaching God's word and see if there's something that you can apply and take into your life, something you can believe or something you can obey. All right? Thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. We are in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. So we're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Acts. We're not taking smaller chunks, but kind of entire events. <clears throat> and so we'll, we'll be making a bit uh, quicker time. What I want you to see in these verses is the goodness of God in persecution, the good and perfect will of God through some awful circumstances that you can trust that he is good, and Barnabas, who's called here a good man. Those are the two things I want you to see. Let's uh, read the text. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. <clears throat> when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, how can we keep our way pure? Only by guarding it according to your word. And so give us your spirit that we may with a whole heart, with sincerity, with all that we are, seek you, that we might not wander from your commandments. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So <clears throat> Acts 11, 19-30, this text is tying together several chapters that came before it. If you turn back to the beginning of Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 8, excuse me, verse 1, in Acts 8, 1, we see that a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And so in verse 4 there, those who scattered went about preaching the word. So we have that, and then that kind of drops off in chapter 9, and it's picked up here again in our text. And then in Acts chapter 9, 
we have the conversion of Saul. <clears throat> Saul, by this vision he sees, comes to Christ. Christ tells him how much he'll have to suffer for his name, and he's the last apostle. But then that's dropped at the beginning of chapter 10 and picked up again in our text. And then in chapter 10, chapters 10 and, and, and the first part of 11, we have Peter seeing a vision to go to this Gentile, Cornelius, who's a centurion, to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes on these Gentiles. So you have the persecution that scatters the Christians, the Apostle Paul, and the gospel now not only for the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And all of that is tied together in our text. So it begins in verse 19 that those who were scattered, chapter 8, Many of them just went only would preach to the Jews. They'd go to the Roman cities, the Greek-speaking cities around, but they'd only go to the Jewish areas and only preach the gospel to the Jews. But, in verse 20, some of them, men of Cyprus, so Cyprus is a, an island in the Mediterranean, Greek-speaking, that's actually where Barnabas was from, and Cyrene, Cyrene is Libya, northern Africa. So these, though, go to the Greeks, to the Hellenists, to the Gentiles, and are preaching the gospel. And God, and it's, it's noted in verse 21 that God's hand was with them. Doesn't mean that God's hand wasn't with those that only went to the Jews, but they're emphasizing now the gospel makes no distinction, Jew or Gentile. The gospel makes no decision, male or female. The gospel makes no decision, slave or free. From the very beginning, God told Abraham that he would have an offspring, a son who would bless all nations, and now it's here. It's not just for the Jews. Jews first, and then to the Greeks. So it's noted that God's hand of power, God's power was with them, and many, in, in verse 21, turned to the Lord. They believed and turned. So note that. There is the simple summary of what it means to become a Christian. Faith and repentance. They believed this news of God's Son living without sin, dying in our place for our sins, rising from the dead, ascended to heaven at the right hand of God. They believed that. They turned from themselves, from the world, from their sin to Christ the Lord. <clears throat> That's what God's power does. Now, the Christians in Jerusalem, where the initial church was, heard of this. The report came to their ears. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why Barnabas? Well, he was from Cyprus. He likely spoke Greek. And so it was thought that he would be the man for the job. And it's noted that he's a good man. He's a good man. We saw Barnabas earlier in chapter 9. <clears throat> we saw him before that in the early chapters of Acts. Uh, chapter 5, when he sold his property and gave it to the poor, and then it's contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira who sell their property and withhold the portion and lie. And so Barnabas has this very good reputation. So Barnabas is sent there to Antioch. He's a good man who continues his good work. Barnabas, seeing that the work is fruitful, needs some help, so stops the work goes nearby to where Paul had, to, to Paul's hometown, and gets Paul and, and Tarsus in verse 25 and brings him back. And they spend 
the next several months, at least the next year, they're building up the church that's in Antioch amongst the Greeks. And so considerable numbers are added, and that place where their faith is of such, their distinction from the surrounding area is such that they're first called Christians. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And then we have after that this issue of others come, other prophets, other teachers, and those who are given messages by God come to Antioch from Jerusalem, Agabus one of them, foretelling a coming a famine that would especially uh, impact the church in Jerusalem. And so you have this wonderful reality of the church in Antioch receiving blessing from the church in Jerusalem and these teachers coming and them being able to send back finances to help the saints there endure the famine, the difficulty. So what I want to first see in verse 19 You see the scattering. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution. Now, you might not, because we haven't necessarily uh, suffered much for our faith in Christ. What What is included in this word persecution? Well, you remember the the first martyr, Stephen, dragged out and stoned to death. Could you imagine that? When we were in Africa. In, in rural vi- villages, there was a, 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 we were driving down this dirt road, and there was a mob with a man in front who was all bloodied. And we were stopped, locked the doors, and this whole mob comes by, and you could see this man. He came right by our door, you know, tried to get in the car. You could just see terror. And I said to the guy who was kind of our Kenyan guy, what's going on here? And he said, they're killing a thief. They're killing a thief. They don't have the kind of law enforcement that we have. And so if one of their own is stealing from their own, they kill him. And they were killing him. And just to see the terror on that man's face, the fear, to hear that word, they're killing. They're in the process. They're doing it right now, right here. That kind of awful death That's what this persecution was of Christians, of those who called on the name of Christ. Homes taken, money confiscated, not allowed to work, family divided against family. They scatter because of that. They scatter. We're seeing something like that in our time with the debacle in Afghanistan. Men, women, children, having to leave everything. Home, job, clothes, everything, gone. Forced to move to new areas all over the world. Nothing left. Nothing left. Awful. And so that's the scattering here. That's what's included in the scattering because of the persecution. We've just gotten a tiny, tiny taste of something like that maybe in the last two years with COVID where our life that we knew it is no more. 
And now it's that because of Jesus. It's that because of faith in Christ. It's that because of allegiance to the Lord magnified greatly. And yet they go, we note, speaking the word in verse 19 or preaching the Lord Jesus in verse 20. They continue the work that the Lord had given them. Remember before he ascended, you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. And though they're in incredible hardship, they continue this work. So we see evangelism. Now before this, before this text, I think this is accurate. Everybody who's preaching is some kind of ordained person, an, an apostle, a deacon. They're all named. They're all rather important Christian figures that we're aware of. Peter and Barnabas and Stephen. This is the first time where you just see verse 20 and some of the men, they're unnamed. They're, they're not church officers. They're I don't know, farmer, a homemaker. They're you. They're you, unheralded. Men of Cyprus, a Mediterranean island, men of Cyrene, northern Africa and Libya, unnamed, unheralded, scattered because of the persecution, preaching Christ. I want to encourage you towards that. <clears throat> That part of our love for this world, part of our care for this creation that God has given to us, our workplaces, our family, our friends, our whatever we do, is that we would go speaking the word, it says in verse 20, or verse, or verse 19, verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. That we would have a real concern for those who are without Christ. And so, under the wrath of God already. That, that, that we would care for those who have nothing to look forward to after death, but terrible misery when eternal joy could be theirs through faith in Christ. And so, I... I want you to make this your prayer for our church. I believe this is an area that we are not what we should be in yet. I don't mean that none of you are doing this, but as a whole, I, I don't think this is a strength. And then that you would prayerfully ask God for boldness and tact and opportunity to speak the word and proclaim Christ that more might be said that you Invite more to come hear the word preach, that you'd include them in your neighborhood, small groups, and so on. But in this, what I want you to see is the great goodness of God through awful circumstances of suffering because of persecution. Many of you, or statistically maybe all of you, 
see that the direction of things in our county, state, nation, world isn't what you'd like it to be. Now, part of this is every generation thinks it's worse than the generation before. Right? Every generation thinks that it's, it's a little worse and woe well, for my kids and so on. But it does seem pretty bad. We're concerned about freedom, freedom to worship, freedom to evangelize, freedom to assist those in sin. It's a right concern. We should be involved in preserving the freedom of others. But is there a better time in our lifetime to be distinct from the world as a Christian? The same was true for them in their day. And God brought them into this incredible trial this awful suffering. Why? So the gospel would be spread. So all of you know Romans 8, 28, right? Everybody can repeat it. God works everything. Yeah. That's this. That's this. That verse that we all treasure that we turn to time and again in times of suffering. Or Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear he is with me, his rod and his staff, they come for me. That's this. Those verses are for this. When we are in times of darkness, circumstances that are terrible, pain and suffering and loss, we know that God has brought us into that for very good purposes, because he is good. We are, uh, I, Daniel in his class, in his schooling, had to read through the Chronicles of Narnia recently. How many of you have read Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, you should read it. One of the things that you see, you'll see in there is that his characters, he's, he doesn't treat them well. They, they go through it. And they're little kids enjoying their lives and then they're sucked into Narnia and there's a wicked white witch who wants to kill them all. And then they have to battle these awful creatures and they get wounded and harmed and they're terrified. But repeatedly throughout the books, he refers to that as an adventure. It's striking. It's striking because they're children and they're given this amazing responsibility and battle, and yet he consistently refers to it as an adventure. Why? Because Aslan's in control. Because at the end, we'll be further up and farther in, or farther in and further up, or however he says it. At the end, will be heaven. Because he knows that all things work together for the good of those who love Christ. And so look at the great good. Church is begun. Leaders sent. Training and teaching. Care for the poor in a coming famine. You can always, 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 as one who loves Christ, bank on this reality that God's goodness secures all goodness for you no matter what you're going through. Always. 
Whose good? Our good. The church is good. What good? Building up of the saints. Useful service. Many come to the Lord. Care for the poor. Joy in ministry. Nothing, nothing, nothing in your life is outside of the sovereign control of God. Not a thing. Nothing. All of it is purposeful. It's not random. It's not chance. It's not fate. It's ordained by the God of heaven who sent his son in order to continue his good purposes in your life and the lives of those around you. So apply that. Look at what Barnabas exhorts the Christians in Antioch 2 in verse 23. To remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast purpose. That is needed way more when you're in tough times than when you're in good times. You need that exhortation from Barnabas. Based on the goodness of God, what he did for you in Christ, the testimony of all of church history, the testimony of your life and the lives around you is this one testimony that God works everything for the good of his saints. And so your calling is to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose of considering the goodness of God in all things. And so are you convinced of that? We see here that the Christians in Antioch are first called Christians. And what is a mark of a Christian but one who remains steadfastly committed to God, particularly in times of significant pain and loss and sorrow and trouble? Now, don't misunderstand me here. I do not mean that Christians in times of woe put on a happy face and lie to themselves that that actually isn't bad but good and that when somebody asks how they're doing, you lie and say, I'm good, I'm a Christian. No, no, the Bible's replete with weeping and shaking your fist at God and crying out in great pain and sorrow, all loss of hope, and yet you continually cry out to God. And what the church needed, what the church constantly needs, are men like Barnabas to help us remember this. Barnabas was a very good man. Wouldn't it be awesome to have others say that of you? And she's a really good, godly woman. Or you know him? Yeah, he, he's a good man. What, what does it mean there that Barnabas is a good man? Well, good, good man is just godly, but in detail, he's obviously very trustworthy. The leaders in Jerusalem trust him to go to this new church and lead it well. They trust him with money in verse 30. And he's willing. When he's given a task, he's willing. This would be a difficult task, wouldn't it? And he's, he's ready and willing. You, you might not be asked to go to a different town, but you may be asked to take out the garbage or something. Are, are you willing? Are you trustworthy to get it done? Barnabas was. That's a good man. You see in verse 23 that part of being a good man is that 
He sees the grace of God and rejoices. He's glad. He's happy. Good men aren't cranky men. Godly women aren't grumbling women. They're often happy. They don't snipe. They're looking for where God is at work and eager to rejoice in it. It kind of people you like to be around. He's, at the end of verse 23, chiefly concerned with one thing. That believers continue to remain faithful to the Lord. A good man is mainly concerned for the eternal soul of the other. Now he's also concerned for the physical well-being and the care of those who are going to suffer under the famine. So we don't neglect the physical. We don't neglect food and clothing and shelter. But neither do we neglect how one is doing with the Lord. Good men care about the spiritual life of the others. They take responsibility for it. They're willing to exhort others in it. Hey, brother, how are you doing in the Lord? How's your walk? Been reading the Bible? What sin are you battling? How's your marriage? Are you putting forth good effort at work? Are you getting better there? Hey, sister, how are you respecting your husband? How's it going in responding to the stuff with your kids in a way that's honoring to Christ? Sister, are you finding time to read the Bible? I know you're in difficult circumstances, sister, but are you remaining steadfast to the Lord? That's what we care about. And it's evidence in our taking responsibility for the spiritual lives of others. That's a good man. He's also not given to petty rivalry or jealousy. He's willing to go and get Paul and include him in the work. It's a good man, isn't it? He's not so proud that he can do it on his own. He doesn't have to be the one who does it all. It's a good man. It's a good woman who, when you got all the little ones and you don't know what you're going to do and you're pulling out your hair, that you go to another older godly woman and say, can you help me? I don't like what I'm called to do right now. It's really hard. You know what I said to my kids on Tuesday? There's, there's no pride in that. There's no needing to seem to continue to be righteous. I need your help, Paul. Would you come and help me? You share the load. And he cares for the poor. It's a, it's a good man, a good woman who takes care of those who are in need. Now, I think what's encouraging about that list is none of it is unattainable. All of it's just normal, regular. And by God's grace, it's actually attainable. Now, I do want to say, we were talking as pastors on Tuesday about this text, and one of the things that we gave thanks to God for, there are many, many good men and women here who fit this. Give thanks for your continued prayer. It's a delight to watch you care for those in the congregation, to invest in others. We have a man in our church who's been being mentored by one of our elders for quite some time, and now he started uh, mentoring with two other men in the church. It's a good man. 
And so good work, brothers and sisters. Please keep it up. Now, one of the things I do want to, to, to note on here, Barnabas comes and he rejoices in what he sees. He's glad. He's pleased. But he's not satisfied. Look at that in verse 23. He came and saw the grace of God and he was glad. He's very pleased what he sees in them. And he exhorts them to get better. He exhorts them to keep going. That is the mark of a good man or a good woman. It doesn't take much to please them. It doesn't take much to make them happy in what you're doing. But they know there's more. And they're willing to push you and urge you towards more in the Lord. He's not harsh or critical. He doesn't see himself as better than. He's sincere. He's encouraging. But he's not satisfied. And what isn't he satisfied with? He knows, like all of us, we have this time between now and meeting Jesus. And that we are going to encounter much difficulty along the way. Especially as Christians. To live for Christ in the break room. To maintain fidelity to the Lord Jesus after service in a group of women when you begin to start talking about other women. To maintain prayerful dependence on the Lord when you get the bad diagnosis, when your work is threatened. You're, we're going to encounter this. And what he is saying is, you cannot live for Christ and for the world. You can't have one foot in Jesus' kingdom and one foot in this world. And he knows us because he knows himself. He knows the temptation to want to live unlike Christ here and like Christ here. To compromise. To try to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus and pleasing to our friends. To have one sexual ethic here and another in my parents' bedroom on a Friday night there. Or basement, I didn't mean bedroom. You know what I mean? There is this need to be consistent in following Jesus and that's what he's exhorting them to. You can't be inconsistent in your private life with your public life. Christ is our life. To be a good man, a good woman, is to be faithful to Christ, living lives of repentance. That's what he's exhorting them to. And so don't you need that? There, there is only one Lord. There is only one who left glory in heaven to take on our flesh there is only one who lived without sin. There is only one who could suffer and die in your place for your sin. There is only one who walked out of the grave in of himself. There is only one who ascended to the right hand of God the Father. There is only one who rules over all of heaven and earth. There is only one coming to judge the living and the dead. And he's either Lord 
in our lives over everything with us growing in repentance and consistency over nothing. We must be sincere Christians. And notice how he says it. Let me read the King James Version. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. With purpose of heart. With willful decision. That you and of yourself, because of the glory and worth of Jesus Christ, because of the fear of God, decide to follow Jesus. With purpose of heart. Sincerity, honesty, love for him. It's not a heartless thing. It's a heart thing. It's a, this is his. I'm in with him. It's not just externals, although those matter. With purpose of heart, they would cleave. We love the song here, He Will Hold Me Fast. Did we sing it last week or a couple weeks ago? Remember that song? He will hold me. Which is true. In John chapter 10, the Father and the Son hold us. Nothing can pluck us out. Isn't that good? But we are also exhorted to hold fast to Him. To cleave unto Him. Will you? Will you? Now this text closes with a good test of that. Our care for other Christians. This is consistent pattern throughout the Bible. It calls us to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the, the one is never without the other. Why? Do you know yourself? That you can say you love Jesus with all your heart. And the test of that is whether or not you love Jesus' people. Anybody can say, I love God all my heart, soul, mind, ring, hands up, tears in the eyes. And yet they really don't ever do anything for Christ's people. The book of 1 John is that over and over and over again. You can't say you love God if you don't take care of God's people. You can't say you love God and see a brother in need and walk on by. And here it is again. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. How? Well, when brothers and sisters are hungry, you feed them. We've seen this repeatedly in the book of Acts already, haven't we? Over and over and over again, the mark of the church is taking care of the church. In Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4 and now here. Now this isn't communism. This isn't somebody else, somebody else taking what is yours in order to give it to somebody else. This isn't all things are everybody's and nobody has anything of private possessions. These are Christians with private possessions who have their own free will give to somebody else in need. This, is, this text 
is not teaching a utopian vision of the world where nobody owns anything, no matter what John Lennon says. That you own what you have. God has given it to you in order to use to care for yourself and your family and have stuff left over for those in need. Let me test you this way. There is a meeting this Tuesday with churches in Rhinelander of, of potential Afghan refugees coming to Rhinelander and calling on the church to house and clothe and help them find work so they can get on their own two feet in the years to come. One of the things I've consistently found against, amongst Christians like us is the initial reaction to hearing about Afghan refugees coming is skepticism. Oh, we better vet them. We better make sure that they're good people. Like your initial heart reaction is, I find that, like, of course, you have doors on your home because you only want to let certain people in. We get that. But why isn't our initial reaction, oh my goodness, what an opportunity for the gospel. What an opportunity to love somebody who's in deep trouble especially if they're a Christian. Why are we so often hard-hearted to those of suffering? Why not rather be open-hearted, eager, willing? You know what I mean? Or people who are different in our own congregation. Why is it that you seem to only relate and help those who are just like you? Why, why is it that we won't in our youth engage with the older or older with the youth or singles with the marries or marries with the singles. The gospel calls us to take care of our brothers and sisters without distinction because Christ welcomed us without distinction, without qualification. Now, notice, this is very helpful, that each one did it according to their ability. It'll look different for all of us. Isn't that wonderful? They gave. They relieved those in need. And that's just the gospel, isn't it? Look at what God has done for us. Look at how he has cared for us. Look at his love poured out on us. Undeserving Without hope, God has loved us enough to sacrifice his son and how much more us for each other. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it means to be a, a good, godly man or woman. Let's pray. Father, please help us with this. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for all those in our lives who spoke the word to us, who proclaimed your son and his death and resurrection. God, help us to do likewise for others. Help us to grow to be increasingly good and godly men and women. God, help us to do that, especially in times of trouble, to remember your goodness. To consider your faithfulness throughout all the generations of Christians, how you continually work all things for the good. Although others intend things for evil, you intend good and bring about the salvation of many. 
And so God, please continue to teach us and instruct us and discipline us that we may have steadfastness of purpose in seeking and, and clinging and cleaving to you. And then God, help us to remember the poor. Help us to remember those who are in need and that we would continue to grow in our care for them that you might be glorified and that we might be known as Christians. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. The charge is this. Don't neglect the reward we receive for even the most minor, seemingly insignificant acts of care, especially of our brothers and sisters. Jesus says in Matthew 25, welcome, here's reward. You clothed me when I was naked. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. Fed me when I was hungry. Visited me when I was imprisoned. When did we do that? Well, what you did for the least of me, least of mine, you did for me. And so don't neglect the incredible joy of being a Christian. Don't neglect to remember the reward stored up for you that is all of grace, that is beyond our desert, and yet that he'll give gladly as we care for those. So don't forget that. May the God of grace in every way use your life to proclaim Christ that many may rejoice. May God's spirit fill us with courage that we may never be ashamed of Christ, but that Christ would be honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death. May God grant us the faith to believe that to continue to live is for Christ, that to die is the gain of seeing Christ, which is far better. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.